This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. I am indeed feeling a draft. There has to be some positivity here on the Scoop Podcast. Although, you know what? The Lynx start training camp Sunday. I don't know if they've announced that yet. How about that? A scoop within the first 10 seconds of this latest edition of the Scoop Podcast. It is episode 142 being recorded on Tuesday night, the 24th of April. We'll get to a ton. In fact, I would say most of my professional time the last handful of days has been focused on the NFL Draft. So a good portion of this podcast will be devoted to the NFL Draft. But I've got some wolf steam. We'll actually record a conversation with David Thorpe, noted NBA analyst here in just a bit, trying to figure out what the bleep took place at Target Center on Monday night during Game 4. What a train wreck. What an embarrassment. How does that happen? How does a team score 50 points in a quarter? So we'll get David's expert analysis on that. Plus, I've got some other tidbits as well. Please, please, please support the sponsor one of the sponsors of the Scoop Podcast, Indochino, Indochino.com online, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Guys, if you're looking for a new suit, think about Indochino. Google Indochino. You'll see all the great reviews. Or check out their showroom at Mall of America on the first floor. Or if you know your measurements, go to Indochino.com. You enter in everything. They customize the you-know-what out of your suit. I never knew everything that entails that a suit goes through and all the choices you have and just everything that goes into the making of a suit. I do know that now that I have my Midnight Blue Indochino suit. But you can get a customized suit. You can get a high-end suit from Indochino for just $379. You use the promo code SCOOP, SCOOP. So online or at the showroom at the very end when you get ready to pay, you can enter in a promo code. You enter in SCOOP or you tell the service rep SCOOP and you will get a really nice suit for just $379. You think about wedding season fast approaching. Pretty much here, actually, here at the end of April with the weather turning or any number of special events, graduation parties, and so on, or graduation ceremonies. If you need a new suit, think about Indochino. Online again, it is Indochino.com. All right, he's one of the favorites here on the podcast in terms of NBA analysis. He is David Thorpe. He used to work for ESPN, longtime trainer of who? Joe Kim Noah, Corey Brewer. He is based in the Tampa St. Pete area. He follows the NBA closely. He now does a lot of his own thing, but he's still heavily involved in some of ESPN's podcasts. He knows the game of basketball better than any of us, so we love having him on. He is David Thorpe. My goal here, at least for the next handful of minutes, is just to get out of the way. I'll set this up on a tee for you. You can hit it out of the ballpark. I was there last night. I still can't quite wrap my arms around what took place in the third quarter. You know, watching the Rockets score 50 points in a quarter, which is just absurd. I'm not quite sure the Wolves made many adjustments. But from your standpoint, and I saw you on Instagram or it was Twitter, wherever, you know, tweeting about some of the things that took place in this Wolves-Rockets game for. From your standpoint, how the heck did the Rockets just embarrass the Wolves last night? You know, so think of like a head-on collision where on the one side, the Rockets finally got back to doing what they had been doing most of the year and, and really just were off rhythm against Minnesota. And Minnesota for that in the previous minutes prior to the second half. Uh, and some of it was just Houston was a little bit off track. And I'll go backwards a little bit. If you remember late in the season, Tony talked about his concern. I didn't agree with him at the time, but he 
he made a big deal of, of how Houston needed to be playing better down the stretch, even though the wins were meaningless. They had, they had locked up the first seed. And so I almost think it played into a little bit of the paranoia for Houston. So, so they got back to what they're capable of doing, which probably, you know, 30 to 40 points in a quarter, because they've done that before. Mm-hmm. The, the other part of that head-on collision was just when I was watching anyway, I've only seen a little tape, but when I was watching live, I just thought Minnesota's plan was faulty or their execution of a plan was faulty because they were doing things like Jimmy Butler was going under screen. Yes, constantly, uh, yes. I, and so it, in having coached players, luckily, uh, for a long time as I have at that level, it doesn't mean that was what he, he was supposed to be doing. It's possible that they, that he was supposed to go underneath it, which then, so then it's a coaching problem. But what happens in that situation is there's just so many things going on in your head at once uh, that Jimmy, who's a great defender, he just, he just got screwed up a couple of times. And that's all it takes is four, three, five just bad decisions by a Minnesota defender and instead of forcing Houston to make a tough shot, which they were making, they get an easy one, and that's how 37 points in a quarter becomes 50. So that's it. The game's over. 50 to 20, you're just not ever recovering from that in the third quarter of a game that's already closed. It'd be one thing if you're already up 25, that this game had no shot. So um, that, to me, is what happened. I mean, I just don't understand, David, I just don't understand why you continuously would, would go underneath the screens. I mean, at some point, there has to be some sort of adjustment. You're right. Maybe Tibbs was communicating that to his team. I guess we'll never know because it's not like Tibbs is, is any sort of open book. But but just yeah. to keep watching it, David, it was, I'm telling you, I was like, what am I watching? I mean, what's the definition of insanity, right? I mean, it's it's doing yeah. the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. I mean, that was that was the Wolves in Game 4. Yeah, so, so to take it a little bit deeper than that, you know, Oklahoma City is, is aggressively defending pick and rolls by Utah, and they can't contain Mitchell and Rubio on it, and they end up getting exposed everywhere. It, it, some of us are wondering why are they being so aggressive on ball screens. This is, and yet they're so just going in five. Um, this is the chess match, right? Uh, uh, you can go with probability. The, the Wolves might have information to say that you should go on a hard in those situations, I, it's news to me. I, 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 don't, I think it's a mistake. There's no easy answer. This is the best offense when they're rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he is LeBron James-esque offensively, without any doubt, James Harden. He, he's playing high-level three-dimensional chess uh, where everyone is weaponized because of him. And, and uh, it's not easy to do, but I would argue that this is what the regular season is for. Uh, and we see one team like Utah, Boston, we're seeing that. The teams that have developed the defensive identity, uh, it's in their DNA, how they're doing things. When you really build a strong foundation, you can tweak it up uh, pretty well. When you don't have a strong foundation, any tweak can cause everything to go haywire because no one really gets in the first place. So they've been they've been a bad defense all year, right, and, and that and – that, came up to bite them in the butt, and you could do it against against Houston. I mean, does it surprise you that, that Tibbs, considering his defensive track record in Chicago, 
hasn't built that foundation here, David, in in two years. And I get it. There was a lot of roster turnover after last year. But outside of about an 8-10 to game stretch in January, I mean, this team has been putrid defensively all year. Tibbs has not been able to communicate defense to these guys. So, yes, I, I am surprised. I did not expect that. I, I thought I thought he would screw up in playing his guys too many minutes. Yes. I did not think he would screw up in getting guys to, to defend. I will say, on a quick side note, uh, Wiggins mm-hmm. is one. And so that's encouraging because he should be an all-world defender. But then again, so should Russell Westbrook, and he's not. So, so maybe Wiggins has made some strides. Uh, we definitely have in this series anyway. We'll see what happens. Next year, it, it, I know this. So one of the one of the things, maybe the, maybe the most effective defense we're seeing. Uh, in fact, Boston lost a guy to injury. Uh, forget the big kid's name. He came off the bench. Portland's got Nurkic. Obviously, we got Gobert for Utah. You've got some big guys that can really defend the rim, and it allows them to play a style of people guys to protect the rim, give up the mid range. Uh, and then defend shooters. The problem is when you when you do that, and you're, the guy guarding the ball as he gets ball screen, ball screen follows the guard, and kind of drives him. I would call it like driving him into the spider's web, right? And there's the spider lurking. Okay, the big guy. But the problem is the roller in this league tends to be a guy that can jump to 12 feet, which means you've got to be in position as the big guy to both defend the ball and defend the lob or get help from the weak side from typically a smaller player. But Capella can get to 13 feet. So he's really a problem. It's one reason mm-hmm. why he led the NBA in field goal percentage. And so now we get to the issue with Minnesota. Where I think Carlos A. Towns has struggled the most is defending that spider's web. Mm-hmm. There is a real talent to be able to show and recover and keep the guard a little off balance, not really give him a fair read. He's just in quicksand or in cement, maybe. Cement is maybe a better word even. Uh, and, it, and, and, that's, and because of that, I, I think Coach Tibbs has struggled, struggled with ways to defend NBA offenses now, given their problems. It should, it should be something that's really addressed in the offseason, really studying film, really working uh, with him, with, with Cal Anthony Towns, with a performance trainer, um, uh, on quickness, on playing baseball, uh, it's, it's a problem. they got to figure it out because they're not going to get rid of him. Uh, and they got to play better defense going forward, or this is it's the best they're going to see. I mean, from your recollection, I mean, have guys been bad like Cat defending that particular play? And over some period of time, now I don't see Tibbs volunteering any sort of you know uh, skills trainer for for Cat. That's just not in the Wolves' DNA. They they keep everything internal, so they don't you know. Unfortunately, they don't want guys like you working with their guys. But but can they fix that internally? I mean, if if Carl Anthony Towns devotes himself, I mean you know from from what you can recall, the last handful of years, any number of guys, maybe they were bad, then they picked up on on how to defend that play. I mean, is there is there potential somewhere down the road for Cat? Okay, yeah, so great question. And, and Minnesota really has no say in the matter. I, I was not. I, I know. I know you don't think that I was. I'm, I'm kind of moving more into corporate development. I'm speaking at a big uh, CEO summit in Atlanta next month. I'm kind of moving to that world. I do not want to work with Carl Faye Towns on his ice defense, <laughs> but the Wolves don't have any choice in the matter. These guys all their own multi-million dollar businesses that they run. They're their own CEOs. 
he wants to go get help, and I would strongly recommend that he does. Not from a necessarily a basketball coach. It, it, it might just be, like I said, a performance guy uh, or performance school where they're working on quickness and agility and timing. And, and yes, a basketball coach will help him study tape and, and what he's doing. But the, but the Wolves absolutely can do the same thing. And, and maybe, maybe they have. I'm not at all suggesting they haven't. I'm only saying that, that he has not figured out. A, he is a very skilled offensive player that is athletic. You don't have to be the most athletic guy to make a difference at the rim. We've seen lots of evidence of that over the years uh, of, of guys that can, that not, they're not going to win a, a track performance for seven footers, but can play defense there. He just isn't one of those guys right now that's doing it. Um, I know what you're getting at there. And ultimately you're, you're, you're asking long-term, what do we have to look forward to now that we've made the playoffs and we're about to lose in five games to the best team. And we just gave up 50 points in a quarter in the most important quarter in 14 years, considering the the one eight versus one, they just got destroyed. Uh, the the truth is, there's a lot of work to do still in Minnesota. If, I, if I'm a Minnesota fan, I'm looking at what Ricky Rubio is doing, who is just outplaying by a significant margin Russell Westbrook. And maybe you're happy for him, but you should be wondering why aren't we enjoying this player here? Because uh, he's terrific now in utah yes well that, i can that, promise you the owner is thinking that glenn taylor is he, thinking that i promise you he should be he should be this is nothing against coach Tibbs or any man i don't even know who's the gm anymore to be honest with you i haven't paid attention to to some of those things in minnesota but the gm's but, a puppet here in many ways it's scott you, layden yeah okay when you see and I, I don't i don't know scott but when you see a player flourish like this you have to ask some hard questions it, it doesn't mean you fire your coach. It doesn't mean it's the coach's fault. There's, there's lots of things to consider. But we, we see this frequently. I, I'll remind you, I, I could literally talk to you for three hours about this, and it's a big part of my speeches that I give. But I remember vividly, you, you remember who John Hollinger is? Sure. Oh, absolutely. John, is he John, still in the Memphis front right. office? Correct. He's the executive VP there. Mm-hmm. When he was ESPN, he used to do a player profile for every NBA player from the previous year and then incoming players. And he called me a late October day. It was late, late, early evening, late afternoon. And he wanted to talk about a guy that just he had no feel for, nothing about Danny Green, who had been at Cleveland, let go, now he's to the Spurs. And I said to him, I studied him a lot in college. I think he won a national championship, actually, in North Carolina. Uh, I think he just was in a terrible franchise in Cleveland. And I think the Spurs will figure out that, that – He's a very good basketball player. He's very powerful. He's agile. He's not super athletic, but because of his strength and agility, he can guard the position. And I, if he can really learn to shoot, he'll be a long-time player. I never predicted this time player. The Spurs have a long record of that, as do many other teams that keep finding ways to win. And teams like Minnesota are kind of just the opposite. They drafted fine, but you've got to – Donovan Mitchell in Minnesota this year may not be the same player. Utah's done something to unlock these guys and help them reach their potential. Joe Ingles is another guy. I mean, I can go on and on about what Utah's done. If I'm in charge of what's going on in Minnesota, I'm asking some serious questions about why hasn't Andrew Wiggins ascended? What is, what is, he, there's no excuse for it uh, in terms of on paper. I don't know Andrew Wiggins at all. Athletically, overall talent, skill, player, or, or bordering that. Talent on defense. Uh, Rubio should have been that. Gorgie James should be better than what he is. 
Um, I think there are question marks that are, that are fair to ask at, at what's going on there. All they did is bring in a really good player, Jimmy Butler, and it got to the eighth spot. But that's not going to work long term. I mean, David, is it as simple as Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches in the league? And frankly, at this point, Tibbs is near the bottom if ranking coaches? Well, it, it's not always simple. And I, because I don't know all the details, I don't know how much the Utah front office is involved in this. My guess is they're really good and they've done a great job. Uh, Quinn Snyder absolutely has proven here for coach of the year. I don't agree with all his philosophies, but he's right. I mean, I, I can't argue with results, and I, so I have no, I, I zero criticism of what he's done there. Uh, when you consider what, what's happened this year, what they've had to deal with, and what they're dealing with now, and if you think they're going to go, you know, away in four or five games in round two, I would say no way. You, what a difference it's going to be from going to play Minnesota to going to play Utah, for, yes. <laughs> for, because they, they are going to guard you at the rim, and mm-hmm. they're going to guard you at three. And they're going to dictate what they want more so than what Minnesota's done. In Tibbs' case, uh, there, there's an argument for all uh, that, that a lot of coaches. There's an argument. Here's the simple argument. The argument you would make against your coach is there's a lot of coaches that could take this exact talent with these number of games that each guy played and got them to the eighth playoff spot uh, because of the overall talent that, that the management brought in. And you could even argue and maybe the, the, your best players would play more games if they played less minutes. That's a separate argument, and they, we, we only know science suggests they shouldn't play as much as what they've been playing, mm-hmm. but we don't know for certain that they would have played more. That's only a guess. We do know long-term it's not smart, but we also know that there's, there's almost, any, almost any coach out there could have taken Minnesota to the eighth spot. Uh, there's a long list of coaches that could have taken that exact same talent that, that Minnesota had with the number of games they played and got them to the eighth spot. Uh, same minutes, less minutes, more minutes. You know, they had enough talent to be the eighth seed in the West. The idea of a coach is to advance or enhance the, the, the roster that's been put together, like Quinn Snyder, like Brad Stevens, like Greg Popovich. I mean, come on, they, they missed Kawhi Leonard all year, got, got themselves into the playoffs, and got a game out of Golden State. Obviously, just one game. Even Steve Kerr, let's not forget. It was just four years ago where, where Mark Jackson was their coach. And, and they beat Denver in a great series. Uh, and everyone got, you know, Denver was, was, was shellacked. Harrison Barnes was a, was a dominant player in that series. And suddenly Steve Kerr comes in and Draymond Green was an afterthought. And Kerr made him into, a, into an all NBA player. And Curry created a revolution. You know, that, that all happened uh, when Steve Kerr got hired. That's what a coach can do. Uh, and that's not happened so far in Minnesota. I was wrong. I thought I thought I had a real chance to. It hasn't. I'm with you now. Maybe it still can, right? I mean, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, yeah, heck, sure. remember, I mean, this franchise hasn't been in the playoffs in 14 years, right? I mean, maybe they should have won more games last year, but they still went from, from 31 wins to 47 wins this year. I mean, I guess they're... There are some positives, but I'll tell you what, David, being here in town, uh, and it's not just on social media. I just, I know so many Wolves fans that are not active on social media that cannot stand Tibbs. Maybe it's his personality. He always looks grumpy. There's, there's this sense that the team takes on his personality. I can tell you behind the scenes, there's some marketing and business folks and others in the organization that aren't real happy. They don't really know Tibbs. I mean, Tibbs, Tibbs puts up a wall. 
you know, and yeah. it trickles down to the front office. But but myriad reasons, I can just tell you, Tibbs is he's like public enemy number one here in town. And frankly, when you win forty seven games with the Wolves, you really shouldn't be public enemy number one. No, of course not. No, it, uh, uh, you, you have to be true to your personality, but you also have to recognize that you, you can't get the Wizard of Oz, that you can live behind a curtain, right? You, 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 there's a connection, a community that, that sports are supposed to be a part of, and, and they, you know, they have some really talented players. Uh, I agree with you that it shouldn't be all doom and gloom, but I would also argue that uh, with the exception of the Spurs, who somehow made it without Kawhi, um, all the teams in front of you, they're not going anywhere. I'm with you, yeah. Uh, maybe Oklahoma City. I was going to say the one that. might be Oklahoma City, yeah. right, if Paul George leaves. But then you got, but then you got Denver waiting in the wings. We'll see what the Clippers do. We'll see what Kawhi ends up. The Spurs aren't going to be empty. They're going to get something for him. <laughs> so let's assume the Spurs are going to be the Spurs. Mm-hmm. They're still run by the same people. The Lakers might um, jump up. The Lakers, I was just going to say, that, that, that and Denver. Lakers... Are going to be if they just kept their own team, they're interesting. They're really, their young talent is good. But let's assume they're going to get somebody. So Oklahoma City, you should track them out. Probably, actually, you don't know because Mello Mello is killing them. Unfortunately, you have to keep them uh, because if they just stop playing Mello, I think they actually could be winning that series or tied anyway. Um, he's he and Russell, Russell's been awful. But if Paul George stays, and Stephen Adams is terrific. My point is the West is loaded. We'll see what LeBron ends up. I, I think he'd be nuts to go there. Um, but, but Minnesota can't just come back next year and think, well, Jerry Butler's going to play more, so we're going to get the seventh and sixth of the fifth. I don't know if Butler is going to play a bunch more with all the minutes he and the other guys are racking up. I, I mean, if Minnesota, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs again next year, it's going to be Armageddon. Well, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs next year, I mean, I think Tibbs is back because he's got he's got twenty four million dollars left on his contract. You know, over yeah. three years. I mean, they're they're not eating that contract right now. But yeah, I mean, if they miss the playoffs next year, David, I can promise you, heads will roll. In fact, if they had lost, I'm convinced if they had lost the regular season finale against Denver, I don't know if it would have been Tibbs. Maybe it would have been Layden. But I am convinced, just based on my intel, somebody somebody's head would have rolled. Something would have happened if they had missed the playoffs. So. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. What about what about Portland? Could Portland? I mean, I don't know what happens with Terry Stotts. To me, they'd be nuts to fire him. But but could Portland be a team that that drops down a bit? I wouldn't think so. I've, their talent is is at moving into their prime and below their prime in terms of age. Uh, Nurkic has played a couple of years. He's very good. Uh, they they lost Mo Hark, I think game one for sure. He had been really important to them down the stretch. If they move C.J. McCollum, they're going to get something really good for him. He's a really good player. Um, I, no, I, I like Eddie Davis is, is a very good uh, – he, he and he and Nurkic protect the rim. I think they're number one in the NBA uh, at protecting the rim in terms of percentage at the rim. Uh, and they're top three in the NBA at taking the three away. Not, not a percentage of, of makes because those guards are small. But they get so under your chin that you have to run you off the line and three. So, yeah, it'd be enough to fire Coach Tots. Um, I personally think that when you could build a team to get 50-plus wins a year, uh, give yourself a chance to be a contender. When you don't have a LeBron James or a James Harden, you've done it. You've done your fans a hell of a job. Uh, I, and I, I think Portland's in a, in a prime position to do that. Uh, they just they get beat by the, probably the best player in the world right now, Anthony Davis. He, he's just that good of a player. And, and Holiday, you know, when they, when they lost Cousins there and what happened, 
They lost Cousins. They made a decision after a couple of weeks to go and treat DNA from Phoenix. And they became the fastest team in the league. They finished the season number one in pace. And they're running teams ragged. And Drew is healthy and feeling great. And Alvin, is a, I mean, God, everyone loves him. Uh, they, they, and with Anthony Davis being the best player on the court, um, Golden State is not going to cruise by anybody that, that's got Anthony Davis on their team, uh, especially with Curry being a, an unknown at this point. They're, they're an impressive group. Miritich, another example, Miritich in Chicago actually was pretty good, but no one really paid attention. Look what he's doing here. You're right. They're an interesting squad. And Rondo, too. Rondo, I really thought he was done. Uh, in Sacramento, he held the ball in the last second every time to get the assist. He still does a lot of that in New Orleans. But he's been good. The playoff good. Playoff Rondo's good. And uh, just another example of, of what I don't think their culture is necessarily the greatest and their management hasn't suspect. But, but Alvin's done a good job of everyone keeping their heads. No, they're, uh, they're, they're a quality team, and they've got the world's best. Right now, he's probably the best player in the world uh, that isn't named LeBron, but I'm not convinced in any one series Davis can't be better. He does it differently at the rim. Uh, he's ability to guard the perimeter. And he can score from everywhere now and get buckets from everywhere in every way. He's a, a real, I mean, just a marvelous player. I'll leave you with this. What What is going on with Miami with, with Hassan Whiteside? And if you were the Wolves, would you entertain the idea of offering Andrew Wiggins for Hassan Whiteside? Now, if you're Miami, you might say, what the heck offer is that? No way we're taking Andrew Wiggins at, at max money that hasn't even kicked in yet, kicks in next year. But but I was just thinking about that. I mean, maybe Towns doesn't figure out what we talked about. Maybe he's better off not being the the big there that that controls the paint that that needs to protect the rim. What about what about a Hassan Whiteside next to Carl Anthony Towns? Uh, so first of all, uh, there's other ways to play defense. Boston lost you know a bench player, but but their 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 lineup with Horford at the five is a very very strong defensive lineup, and he he's not that player. That you you just got to mm-hmm. coach defense better. Yeah, you you're right. Yeah. Strategies right. See, there's other ways to do it. Uh, I, to bail on Towns would be nuts to me, and I, and I don't. I know you don't think they will. Uh, uh, I mean, it would be Wiggins. So I mean, you would be moving Towns to the four. Oh, I see. Just saying, play them both together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could mean, Towns like, and Whiteside coexist? I guess is my question. Yeah. yeah, I like the. I like zigging versus zagging. I, I liked when the Pelicans got Cousins, but the fact is, they just they just better without him. Yeah. So I think Cousins. Heck, you guys could go after Cousins and move Towns to the four uh, if he's willing to go there and play with some pretty talented. I mean, it's a pretty good team. Um, and I don't know if they keep Wiggers or not there for, for a financial situation, but heck, that might be a really good to do a sign and trade and get Cousins and they get Wiggins. Uh, both teams would win probably there. Man, how uh, many guys I, How many guys with that Achilles come back? How many big guys yeah. come back? Ooh, that yeah, would, that's the yeah. question. Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe just wrote about it today. It's a really good article on ESPN. Uh, right, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a very tough thing, and I feel for the guy. Um, I think that Whiteside is one of those guys that, I mean, he always had emotional issues. Figured out enough to be a very good player. Spolster has done such a great job with him. Just another example, like I told you, I guess when what Spolster and the franchise has done to help him. But there's some limits to what you can do, and uh, and I also think that. The way the playoffs can really pick you apart, uh, because they can just focus on one team every game instead of something different every night. Uh, you can force him, you can force him to have to stay home and then make them guard five on four around the perimeter with shooters. Philly, Embiid, who can really shoot. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams now have five man lineups where everyone can shoot three. 
And, and if that's what's going to happen in the playoffs, that he can't play as much, his value goes down considerably because you can't play him. And you, he can't take advantage of you well enough on offense to make a difference. So, you know, he's, he's probably overpaid. Uh, and I, I don't think, I mean, what Minnesota needs to do more than anything is develop young players who are worth more than what they're being paid and not just keep paying for, I'm mean, like, Wiggins, Towns, Butler at very high levels. Uh, they, they just, they're going to have to develop other guys that are underpaid. Yeah, but, I mean, Tibbs doesn't play rookies, right? So, I mean, they have the 20th pick in the draft. It's a good draft. Presumably, they should be able to get somebody that can help them. But there's no proof that Tibbs is going to play that guy next year. Then you have Justin Patton, who I think, I like his skill set, David, but but he's now got another foot injury. It's the same foot, but he had another surgery. I mean, he'll be out the entire summer. His entire rookie year was pretty much lost. He got some games in in the G League. You know, so you can't write the final chapter on him, but but we don't know. He's a giant question mark, so I, I don't know who that player would be here, frankly. So you bring up a really interesting point and, and something that I, I put into my, my, my uh, corporate speeches. Uh, are you a father? I am, yeah. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Alright, so as, as they grow up, and, and anyone listening to this, and as a parent or even as a coach, you'll, you'll understand this. Uh, there are times in their lives where you'll give them opportunities, uh, and if they fail, it'll suck. It'll, you'll be sad. It, you know, that can be a perm- You're not going to give a ten-year-old the keys to the car, but you might let them carry a plate of food to the table, right? You might let them do something else that shows some kind of responsibility that's hard to do. And if you don't let them do that, knowing that they might fail, fail, let them do it again and again and again. You're really curbing their ceiling for growth in, in whatever area that would be, including belief in themselves. So I, I bring that up to say this. When you talk about this, I, was, I did someone else's show today, and we talked about this exact subject, Darren. And we talked about the, the quality of people in Utah to deal with what they dealt with this year, including starting the season without Gordon Hayward, right, because they lost him for nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all okay with letting a rookie lead him in scoring. Not even okay. They're thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, yeah. It's not hard to be thrilled with Donovan Mitchell. He's really an incredible talent. Better than I, than I realized, even studying tape on him. He's it really is. But what you just said is the whole key. You think he'd be doing this in Minnesota? No. I don't. Yeah, no way. He no, I mean, zero chance, yeah. No, no. Even And, and even if he um, had done well uh, in preseason – uh, the first mistake, he's out, and I'll, I'll tell you, you'll love this because you, you appreciate Kevin Martin. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have a long track record with him. So Kevin uh, was a rookie drafted number 26 by the Spurs at a, a little tiny school in Western Carolina. I'm sorry, by the, uh, by the Kings. And as a rookie, he started every preseason game for Rick Adelman. He led the – back then it was the Long Beach Summer League. He led that league in scoring. Lit up the Lakers for 30-some-odd points. He was fantastic. He, was, he had a double-double in one of the games. Um, we were playing some like guys that were in the rotation. He was amazing. I thought, he is going to play as a rookie. I knew it. He goes to preseason. Darren, he does great. You can look it up. He does great. Uh, they go to China. Matched up two games against Houston because of Yao and Tracy McGrady. He's got a guard team at some. He does fine. He scores double figures. He plays well. Here comes the regular season. He gets in like, I want to say, one minute of game one in the third quarter. I don't remember what he did, but it wasn't good. He's out. That's mm. it. 
Yeah. He averaged mm. 2.9. It's a trivia question of this. There's a, there's the, the NBA player that had the largest points-per-game increase over his first five years of his career, where they, it went up every single year with Kevin Martin. Only he just knew he wasn't good enough to help that team win 50-some-odd games, which they did, and he averaged 2.9 points per game. Year five, it was 24.9. The yeah. NBA record. Don't tell me for one flipping second he couldn't have done that in year one. Yep. He couldn't have done 24. But in year two, he averaged. He started the last 41 games because of injury. He averaged 14 a game in those games. He could have done the same thing in year one. Absolutely would have. Yes. yes. They just wouldn't give him a chance. I remember when Zach Randolph won most improved player award. He laughed. He said, I'm not improved. I just finally played. <laughs> this, is, this is what uh, Jason Tatum has been lucky to be in Boston uh, as a Jalen Brown. And Donovan Mitchell, of course. And Kawhi Leonard started as a rookie on a team with championship aspirations because Pop gave him that chance. Uh, I, didn't, I don't if, if he's not willing to play those guys, that's on him because one of the biggest values, if not the biggest overall value of drafting a player isn't that he's going to be the next LeBron James. It is that he can be, he can be a guy that's helping you win games with, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a very, very small salary compared to what the average player makes in the NBA if he's helping you win games. And you're not taking advantage of that. So you're not only not developing him for the future, you're not even taking advantage of him now. You're winning. You know, there's a cost per win. We, there's a valuation of that. Your cost per wins are much higher when you're playing older guys because they're making more. So it's a mistake that Minnesota's making by not developing those guys. I'm with you, David. Always enjoy the conversation, and I'll certainly be in touch before, you know, before the final starter or maybe immediately after the finals heading into what should be a fun and busy June and July. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks a lot, Darren. Okay, thanks, David. Formerly of ESPN, NBA analyst David Thorpe. I'll say this much. Some things I've heard in the last, I don't know, 48 to 72 hours, maybe it was being at games three and four, whatever the reason or reasons that I stumbled into this information. But I do get the sense that owner Glenn Taylor would have done something if they had lost to Denver. So if they had missed the playoffs, that doesn't mean that Tom Thibodeau was going to get fired. In fact, with $24 million left in his contract, no, I don't think any sane owner would eat that sort of contract. But would Glenn Taylor have looked at maybe bringing in a president of operations, taking that title away from Tibbs? Who knows? Endless possibilities. Making some front office changes. I just I get the sense that Glenn Taylor was definitely thinking about making some changes if they had lost to Denver. So now they make the playoffs, but they get embarrassed in two games so far. We'll see how Game 5 on Wednesday night plays out. Now, Game 3 I thought was great. I thought Tibbs had a marvelous game. I thought he pushed a lot of good buttons. I thought strategically, substitution patterns. I just I thought Tibbs had a really good night on Saturday. By the way, post-game, Tibbs had a number of family members in town. We don't get to see that side of Tibbs. It's unfortunate. You know, he just he puts up a wall with with everybody that's not in his inner circle. If you're not Scott Layden or Brian Pauga or about two other people, you just you don't get to know him. But seeing from a distance, I saw what appeared to be, I'm guessing, his nephew, maybe five, six years old, tugging at him, big smile on his face, interacting with a number of family members. There is a human side to Tibbs. Unfortunately, we just don't get to see it, and I can tell you we will never get to see it. Now, at this point, will Glenn Taylor do anything? I don't know, but the word is Glenn Taylor and Tibbs have had some interesting conversations the last handful of weeks. I think Glenn Taylor's trying to figure out why Tibbs 
acts the way he does, why he puts up those walls, why certain things happen, don't happen. I do think when Tibbs and Glenn Taylor sit down in the coming days after the season that Glenn Taylor will ask some pointed questions. You're looking at Utah and Ricky Rubio having all sorts of success. Shabazz Muhammad is helping Milwaukee in the playoffs. I mean, I think those are questions that are lingering in Glenn Taylor's mind. But again, I would be surprised if Glenn Taylor made the move that I think some things are lingering in his head about that that is Tibbs my answer long term, but I just I think that is too much money, twenty four million dollars. You are not eating that contract. But I do think it's got a chance to be a pretty fascinating summer. Jimmy Butler can sign the big money extension. Will he sign it or will he say, No, let's play this thing out. Let's see how next year goes. And is the potential there that Jimmy Butler will take this all the way to July of two thousand and nineteen and free agency. If you get to that point, would you have to entertain trading him? But there's no way that Tibbs, president of operations, is moving Jimmy Butler. That's the other part of this equation. That Tibbs and Jimmy Butler, this isn't breaking news, the belief is they are attached at the hip. So if the Wolves actually made a move on Tibbs, you can pretty much kiss Jimmy Butler goodbye. So what I'm getting at is I do think this will be another fascinating offseason because they had all that cap space last summer was incredibly fascinating. But I think in different ways, this offseason will be very fascinating. Also, to suggest that it's kumbaya in the front office, in the coaching ranks, in the business and marketing side. I mean, everybody. I mean, Flip Saunders was the ultimate people person. Flip would spend an hour after shoot-around just beating around the bush with a number of media folks. I mean, heck, Tibbs isn't going to do that, but I think Tibbs can open up just a little bit more. Can Tibbs change, though? Tibbs is, what, 60 years old? I mean, at 60, I can't fault the man. He is who he is. He won this way in Chicago. I don't know if Tibbs all of a sudden is going to change, but I can tell you to suggest that it's just a cohesive bunch over there. And again, marketing, business, ticket sales, fan relations, coaching staff, front office, you know, the the whole kit and caboodle over there to suggest it's a cohesive unit. I'm sorry. I've just I've heard too much to suggest it's absolutely not cohesive. Some other thoughts. The Rockets two Aprils ago had interest in Tom Thibodeau. I wonder if the Rockets are saying, thank goodness we hired Mike D'Antoni. Thank goodness we did not hire Tom Thibodeau. And I'm telling you, Glenn Taylor has to be watching the playoffs, specifically Utah, just wondering why, how, my guy Ricky Rubio and hey, you play for Quinn Snyder, a lot of point guards can look good in that offense. But I'm just telling you, I do think I'd love to be a fly in the wall. Put it that way. I'd love to be a fly in the wall of the postseason meeting between Glenn Taylor and Tom Thibodeau. Here's another thought. I wonder if ownership, not just Glenn Taylor, he's got partners. Wonder if they got fooled a little bit by Corn Ferry. Enough with the search firms. If Tom Thibodeau, maybe it's a year from now, but if Tibbs gets fired, can Glenn just be done with search firms? Do this thing on your own, or if you're thinking about selling, execute the sale of the franchise. But enough with Corn Ferry, any search firm. You don't need a search firm. It was Corn Ferry who convinced Taylor more than anyone that Tibbs was worthy of the president of operations title and head coach title. But you look at the structure of the league now, that's just not the method for success. It's not the method for success in Detroit. Doc Rivers got stripped of his power in Los Angeles. I mean, it's just, it's not. I mean, Steve Kerr is a brilliant coach. We just talked about Kerr a little bit with David Thorpe. I mean, there's a GM there. Steve Kerr doesn't have final say 
with Golden State. D'Antoni doesn't have final say with the Rockets. Brad Stevens doesn't have final say with the Celtics. I think the best structure at this point is you have a guy coach and you have a president of operations above him. Also on the Wolves, Derrick Rose has been better than I thought he would be. It looks like he's actually got a good amount of bounce back, you know, just in terms of physicality and his physical makeup coming off so many injuries. It looks like he's he's got the athleticism. I mean, whether it's here or somewhere else, I mean, Derrick Rose should be able to play in the NBA for the next few years. I am told that Rose turned down offers from both Oklahoma City and New Orleans. Plus, the L.A. Lakers were kicking the tires on Rose before he signed with the Wolves. I think Derrick Rose is another point of contention that Glenn Taylor wasn't open to the idea of of signing Rose. Tibbs said to convince him. Now, on the court, Tibbs can say, hey, Glenn, see, I told you. But I'm just saying, I do think that Tibbs, Glenn Taylor, postseason conversation will be a doozy. Whether we ever hear any details about it will remain to be seen. On the Vikings, funky microphone. Hopefully it is good now. I have a bunch of notes on Gophers football, Gophers basketball, the Wild a little bit, the Twins a little bit, but I think I'll do another episode before the week is over. I don't want this episode to go much beyond 45 minutes. I actually have a conversation with Jonathan Mann, Rosemount High School sophomore. He committed to P.J. Fleck last week. He is the first player to commit in the class of 2020, the Gophers class of 2020. But I will play back that conversation in episode 143. And again, hopefully I'll get to that before the week is over. But I will finish with Viking slash NFL draft notes. They are brought to you by Skull Marketing. They are a business-to-business marketing agency. They specialize working with local small businesses. They are a locally owned small company started by two former Google employees. So they want to make Google work for you. So you're a business owner. You're trying to figure out, okay, when when potential customers go to the Google, they type in whatever your line of business might be. Why do other businesses pop up before yours? Well, these guys can get your business to pop up first or at least higher than others. They know how to make Google work for you. They are marketing gurus, marketing geniuses, Skull Marketing. SkullMarketing.com online for more information or call now for your free 30-minute consultation. 612-787-SKULL. It won't hurt you. If you're a small business owner, get a free 30-minute consultation. 612-787-SKULL. All right, before we get to some draft stuff on Terrence Newman, I'm a broken record going back about three or four weeks. But I continue to hear it's a stare down. The Vikings would welcome Newman back, but he has to take a pay cut. And at this point, Newman is not open to a pay cut. And I'm not just talking... $100,000, $200,000. I think the Vikings are looking for him to take a pretty sizable pay cut. He made approximately $3.2 million last year. So at this point, it's a stare down. I don't know if Newman wants to be anywhere else. He has to decide, okay, do I want to be a Viking for maybe about half of what I made last year? Or do I walk away? So I think that could go on for a bit. I do think the Vikings will walk away from the weekend with at least one, if not multiple defensive backs, certainly a cornerback. So that could certainly influence their line of thinking with Newman. But I do hear that there is interest in retaining Newman, but he has to take a pay cut. On Trey Waynes, the expectation is the Vikings pick up that fifth-year option by the early May deadline. The Vikings still don't have interest in retaining free agent Michael Floyd. All right, to the draft. Rick Spielman on Tuesday said 
that it's not a foregone conclusion they go offensive lineman with their first pick. Certainly offensive lineman is in that mix, though. But he said, hey, there are five positions that we would be comfortable with. Okay, we know offensive line is one. I can tell you tight end is another. I can tell you cornerback is another. I can tell you defensive tackle is another. What is the fifth? Is it safety? Is it defensive end? I don't think they would go Jarek McKinnon replacement running back that high. So I don't know what the fifth one is unless it's, you know, defensive line as a whole, defensive backfield as a whole, tight end, offensive line, or if they're looking at guard and tackle. Maybe they're differentiating that way. But they certainly could go offensive lineman with their first pick. I do think in an ideal world, the Vikings move back and recoup a fourth-round pick. Remember, they're down a fourth-round pick from, I guess it would have been, what, the Sam Bradford trade. So could they move from 30 to 37, then recoup a fourth-round pick? I think that would be an ideal scenario, but it takes two to tango. You need the right team to want to move up to get the fifth-year option on some guy. To me, the ideal scenario is Mason Rudolph, the quarterback from Oklahoma State Falls. Some team moves up, and the Vikings move back. But if they stay at 30, I think it's offensive line, tight end, defensive back, or defensive line. I don't think they go linebacker that high. I do think they will go linebacker at some point, probably more so Saturday, not Thursday or Friday. I do sense, reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, that Dallas Goddard, the tight end from South Dakota State, is somebody that absolutely intrigues the Vikings. Now, I don't have their draft board. So if we're sitting there and the cornerback Alexander from Louisville is on the board, Hughes, the cornerback from Central Florida, is on the board, Ragnow, the offensive lineman from Arkansas, is on the board, maybe Win, the offensive lineman from Georgia, is on the board, as is Goddard, I don't know who the Vikings would go with in that scenario. I think there's interest in all those guys. So I don't know how the board is stacked, but I do think acquiring a tight end this weekend that can be a complimentary guy to Kyle Rudolph. Then Kyle Rudolph has no money attached to if you let him go after the year. So, I mean, if you want to make a move on Kyle Rudolph a year from now, you're not going to get killed cap-wise. So you could be thinking about the long-term solution at tight end, somebody to take over for Kyle Rudolph after the year if Rudolph doesn't have a great year or, you know, he gets beat up, nicked up. I mean, he's coming off ankle surgery. Kyle Rudolph's been around the block for a while. Good player. But could the Vikings make a move there? There's always that possibility if they need that cap space. I'm just telling you, I would be shocked if they don't go tight end And I think it won't be in the 6th or 7th round. I do think it'll be higher than that. Could it be as high as 30 or in the 2nd round? That remains to be seen. But I'm telling you, do not sleep on the Vikings getting a tight end this weekend. All right, let me finish with the buzz on as many local guys as I can get to or information that I have. All right, we start with Frank Ragnow, Chanhassen High School, University of Arkansas. Signs do point to Ragnow being the first local player to go in the first round since, unless I'm forgetting somebody, Michael Floyd. 2012, Creighton, Durham Hall, St. Paul native, Notre Dame. Max Williams was a second-round pick. Rashid Hageman was a second-round pick. So as far as I can tell, it's been six years since a local kid, a Twin Cities native, went in the first round of the NFL draft. Signs do point to Ragnow going on Thursday night. The Panthers have done a ton of homework on Ragnow. So have the Bengals. So have the Bills. He worked out recently for the Patriots, for the Falcons. The Saints have some interest. Certainly the Vikings have some interest. He visited Winter Park on April 3rd. So there's a ton of teams. Just about every team from 19 to 31 has done all sorts of homework on Ragnow. So I do sense that he will go between those picks, 19 and 31. That would be fantastic. 
fantastic. On Jake Wenicky, the wide receiver from Maple Grove High School, South Dakota State. Some teams have him with a draftable grade. Some teams don't. I'm told the Vikings still don't have Wenicky with a draftable grade. But if he doesn't get drafted, the Vikings will make Wenicky a big-time priority. The Vikings will want to sign Wenicky as an undrafted free agent. Here are the teams, though, besides the Vikings showing interest in Wenicky. I don't have exactly how other teams feel. I just am told that some teams do have a draftable grade on him, but some don't. But the teams that are showing the most interest in Wenicky, in addition to the Vikings, the 49ers, the Saints, the Panthers, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Jets, and the Texans. So keep an eye on all those teams when it comes to Jake Wenicky on Jack Sitchi, Hill Mary High School, University of Wisconsin linebacker. The Vikings have done as much homework as anyone on Sitchi. The Packers have also done a good amount of homework on Sitchi. On Jonathan Celestine, the former Gophers linebacker, the Texans, the Bucks, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Lions, and the Titans are the team showing the most interest. On Steven Richardson, former Gophers defensive tackle, he had a recent workout with his hometown Chicago Bears. Also the Steelers, the Seahawks, and the 49ers have been showing interest. Former Gophers punter, and he can kick, he can kick off, Ryan Santoso, the Lions, the Titans, the Dolphins, the Ravens, and a few others. On Andrew Stelter, the former Gophers defensive lineman, he actually did some offensive line drill work at Gophers Pro Day. The Jets have inquired. As of now, it seems like the Jets have interest in him more along the lines of defensive line, not offensive line, but don't rule out the possibility of Stelter landing with a team as an offensive lineman. Also, Nate Wozniak, former Gophers tight end, six foot ten. He too did some offensive line drills at Pro Day. So he's listed as a tight end, but some team may bring him aboard for rookie camp as an offensive lineman. Former Gophers defensive back Kunle Ayande from Blaine High School. He has gotten phone calls from the Arizona Cardinals and the Houston Texans. Now I don't know if the Gophers will have a player drafted at this point. I lean no, so it would be the first time in, what, like four years? I should have that in front of me, but it's been a few years since the Gophers haven't had a player drafted. But at this point, it doesn't look like a Gopher will be drafted. But there are local players to celebrate, and a number of those Gophers will sign free agent contracts after the draft. But, yeah, we wonder on Wenicky. Sitchi will get drafted. That's just about a slam dunk. And Ragnow is 100% going to get drafted. The question is, does he go in the first, or does he slide to those first 10 picks in the second round? But right now, the steam is strong that Ragnow goes in the first round. All right, again, my goal will be to be back with episode 143 later this week with a bit more on the Wild, the Twins, Gophers football, conversation with Jonathan Mann, Gophers basketball, and other stuff. I am glad to see that the Gophers women's basketball team made the hiring official of Thibaut Dudanis as an assistant coach, Carly Thibaut Dudanis. If you listen to this podcast religiously, we had her name over a week ago. We had that steam a week ago. So we're all over it. We're doing our best to provide you scoops that you get nowhere else or we piggyback on some stuff maybe you know about or we can add some detail. So hopefully you enjoy this podcast. And that does it for Scoop Podcast episode 142. Again, the plan is to be back with 143 later this week.